follow you on Twitter. I, I love to see your messages every day. They're very positive. They're very uplifting, uh, especially in the crazy time that we're in. You know, I look forward to them every morning. So here, here we go. Uh, welcome Fairway Nation to our Way of the Warrior. Very special today to have Inky on with us. So I wanna just give you a quick little intro on Inky. This is very important that you know this about him before he launches into sudden changes. So it was September 9th, 2006. It started as a normal college football game in Nayland Stadium. If anything, this event was an afterthought dropped into the schedule at the last minute. For Inky Johnson though, this game changed everything. A routine tackle turned into a life-threatening injury and nothing has been normal for Inky ever since. Not with a paralyzed right arm, not with the daily pain he lives with, not with constant physical challenges. His dream was always to play professional sports. You might think his injury would have destroyed his motivation and crushed his spirit, but that's only because you don't know Inky, who is in chorus, Inky Johnson, you ask? He could be described as the survivor of an underprivileged past. He could be described as a refugee of poverty and violence. He could be described as a success story stained by tragedy. But if you look deeper, you will discover something else. You'll see a man who looks in the face of defeat and says, am I really failing or is God prevailing? You'll see a man gripped by the promise that God has purpose, plans far beyond our own. You'll be inspired by his relentless determination, which he loves to impart to others through his incredible story. Inky has a master's degree in sports psychology from the University of Tennessee. He devotes most of his time to mentoring athletes and underprivileged youth. He and his amazing wife, Allison, they live in Atlanta, Georgia, and they have their beautiful children, Jada and Inky Jr. With that, I give you Inky Johnson. Thanks for being with us. Pleasure, pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, first and foremost, I just want to say it's an extreme honor and privilege to be on uh, with you guys. I hope everybody is doing well. Hope everybody's family is doing great. And I just want to say it's a privilege. But before I get started, um, I have a routine that I do every single day, you know, just kind of start my day, put my mindset in the right space, uh, get my disposition correct. And it's, it's a quote bowl, like, little thing to where every single day I do it as a ritual for me, my wife, my children. And it's just a bowl full of quotes. Every single morning I stop right there. I read them, I discuss them and start dialogue. And so I want to read off a few to you guys before we get started. So you guys can kind of understand where I'm going and where I'm headed with it. And the first one reads, I think these difficult times have helped me to understand better than before how infinitely rich and beautiful life is in every way that so many things that one goes around worrying about are of no importance whatsoever. The second one reads, sometimes the situation is only a problem because it is looked at in a certain way. Look at it in another way, the right course of action may be so obvious that the problem no longer exists. And the last one reads, learn the art of patience. Apply discipline to your thoughts when they become anxious over the outcome of a goal. Impatience breeds anxiety, fear, discouragement, and failure. Patience creates confidence, decisiveness, and a rational outlook, which eventually leads to success. So I'm gonna give you 
a little idea of how they look. And so I was talking to a buddy around mid-March and he had just retired from the NFL and he was telling me about his plans and his transition, about how everything was lining up prior to COVID and how COVID was just interrupting his life, right? He was talking about the plans he had for his children, his spouse, and you know, he was talking about it to the extent of, you know, he was getting upset and angry. And I let him talk and I said to him, be careful. And he said, why are you saying that? I said, be careful because the words we use to describe our experiences, they usually become our experiences. I said, I'm not telling you not to talk about it, not to discuss it. I'm just saying, be careful because you have the opportunity right now to form your perspective about the situation that you're facing and you're up against. And he said, Ink, you're right. I said, yeah, man, because with opposition, with adversity and with challenges, you always have an opportunity on the other side of it to extract certain things from it and apply to other areas and aspects of your life to make you somewhat of a decent human being. And so I wanna share a story with you guys that happened prior to the pandemic. And I'm, I'm just a life guy, right? I firmly believe our legacy is the people we meet, places we go, environments we end up in, and the energy and the focus and dedication and commitment that we bring to them, right? And so I landed in Seattle and I meet a gentleman at the airport. He picks me up, he takes me to my hotel. I thank him. And he says to me, I just want to let you know that I'll be the gentleman that's coming back to pick you up in the morning to take you to your engagement. I said, great, what time would you like for me to be down? He says, 7.15. I said, great, I'll see you then. Next morning rolls around, 7.15, I'm downstairs. We greet each other. I crack a joke about the weather. I get in the car and five minutes en route to the venue, I look up, I look in the mirror and I can see the gentleman is crying, right? And he looks to be north of 60 years old. And I say to him, excuse me, sir, is everything okay? And he said, yeah, everything is fine. He said, my normal job is not in transportation. I'm not a driver. He said, my buddy owns the company. Whenever he gets overwhelmed, he'll call and say, hey man, can you cover a shift for me? He said, I probably haven't done it for him in over a year. He said, but usually he does a lot of work with the Seattle Seahawks, great experience. I take pictures with the guys, share with my children. It's awesome. He said, so last night when I picked you up, I didn't know if you used to play for them if you work with them, I didn't know any of that. So I went on a computer and I looked you up after I dropped you off. And he said, I started seeing these videos about redirection. I saw one about perspective. And he said, the reason I'm crying is because my wife just died. He said, I just lost my wife. And he said, I've been living my life thinking, surely there's nothing that can bring me the energy, the passion, the zeal, the driving force that my wife once brought me. And he said, I'm not saying that the videos can replace my wife because nothing could ever replace my wife. He said, but what it did for me was it gave me a new sense of energy and a new sense of focus. And I greatly appreciate that. And he went on to share. And when he got done, I said to him, can I ask you two questions? I said, I just want to understand something. He said, sure. I said, can you tell me at a basic level, right? Just a real basic level. How, when you encountered the opposition, encountered the challenge, encountered the sudden change, or was probably the darkest, toughest, roughest moment of your life, how did you not only embrace it, how did you get through it at a basic level? How did you literally pick one foot up every single day and put one foot in front of the other, carry on in your career, raise your children? How did you continue to function in the midst of the adversity, right? Because my favorite quote is the quote by Dr. King that says, you judge the character and caliber of a person, not by where they stand in times of comfort and convenience, you judge the character and caliber of a person by where they stand in times of challenge and controversy, right? Like Mike Tyson said it, everybody got a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? And so I wanted to understand when the opposition came, 
How did he not only embrace it, but continue to function? Follow me. The guy was an amazing soul. He said to me, my wife had been sick for 30 years. He said she got to a point she was wheelchair bound. Follow me. He said every single day I had to get her dressed, put her in a wheelchair, help her. And he said one day it got to be too much, right? The opposition got to be too much. It got heavy. I started complaining. We started fussing. I looked at my wife. I said, I'm leaving. I can't take it. I'm checking out. He said, I called my buddy as I was walking out the house with my night bag. My buddy picked up. I said, hey, man, can I come and stay at your house tonight? I can't take it. My buddy said, yes. He goes to his buddy's house, complains the whole night, get up the next morning, grabs his night bag, go into the restroom, pulls out his toothbrush, pulls out his toothpaste. He starts to brush his teeth. As he's brushing his teeth, he's saying to himself, as he's looking in the mirror, for better or for worse, yet things have gotten pretty worse through sickness and health. Yeah, you know, she's pretty sick. For richer or for poor. Yeah, we've been pretty poor. And he said, the conviction said to him, you didn't finish. Like you didn't do what you said you were gonna do. You were all good when it was all good, but you didn't stay true to what you said you were gonna stay true to. You didn't stay in the pocket, right? When it got to be too much, you fleed. You didn't stay true to what you said you were gonna stay true to. And the conviction was so strong, it took him out of his friend's door, right back into the door of his house. And he said, when he walked in, his wife was sitting there and she said to him, what are you doing here, you prick, right? And he said, give it to me, I deserve it. And he said, when she got done, he said to her, I just want you to know that I'll never leave you again. I just want you to know, no matter how bad, how rough, how tough it gets, I'll never leave again, right? I said, great, I got that part. I said, now answer this last question for me. He said, what you got? I said, if you could shift change, do anything different about the situation, what would it be? He said, I would have embraced it a lot earlier and I would have changed my perspective about it. I said, bingo. He said, why did you say that? I said, I'm just a firm believer that perspective drives performance every day of the week. I said, I'm just a firm believer how we view what we do will always affect how we do what we do, right? And I firmly believe it's connected to the driving force that we have about the things that we associate with and the things that we're connected to every single day of the week, right? Like I got a paralyzed right arm and hand that I live life with every single day. And I can honestly say to everybody on a Zoom call, it's the third best thing that's ever happened to me in my life outside of marrying my wife and having my two children. And for some strange reason, when people look at me, they struggle with that thought process because what they see is the atrophy in my arm. What they see sometimes is, hey man, it was this guy he was a projected first round draft pick. He had an injury and his career ended and he was working for this dream from seven until 20 years old, right? I loved everything about the game of football. I tell people all the time, the way my injury encountered my life was similar to the way Corona hit the world, not on the macro level, not the impact that it's had on people's lives. I'm talking about it from the perspective of one day you're operating and you're functioning and everything is going great. And then you wake up one day, you're on top of the world and you wake up the next day and the world is on top of you. I'm talking about the aspect of you doing something a certain way and then you encounter a level of opposition and you can no longer do it that way again. Like one day on September 9th, 2006, I woke up, everything was great. And that night my life changed and it never went back to being the same again, right? I never felt my arm ever again since that day. I couldn't move my fingers since that day, right? I couldn't feel the right side of my back since that day. Right. My life totally changed. And the beauty of the situation was I had a brachial plexus avulsion. That's the medical term for it. 
In other words, nobody could give me an answer about the outcome of my injury. Nobody can come to me and say, hey, Inc., three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, here's your results, this is what will happen. The only thing they could tell me was, hey, Inky, we can put you in a two-year process and you show up five to six days a week, we'll order you the best pieces of equipment, give you access to the best doctors at the Mayo Clinic, and we'll see what happens. They said, if we can get you to assisted daily living, that's a win for us. I said, what's that? They said, if you could go to the grocery store one day with your wife and you could just hold the grocery bag under your right side with your right arm, that'll be a win for us. They said, if one day you can grab a pencil and your handwriting on your right hand could look like a kid, that'll be a win for us. They said, but we don't know if it's gonna happen. They said, so go to five to 10 people you love and you respect, tell them the situation, see what they think. I went to five to 10 people I knew loved me. I told them the situation, all of them said, Inky, don't do it. I said, why? They said, they can't guarantee you that it will work. They said, why would you show up? They can't guarantee you that your fingers will work. They can't guarantee you that your hand will work. They can't guarantee you'll be able to move your arm one day. Why would you do that? It could crush you. I said, man, I thought that's what a warrior was, right? Way of the water. I thought that's what a warrior was. They could show up every single day and they don't need you to guarantee them a thing. Right? I thought that's what a warrior was. They can bring their own guts every single day in the midst of opposition, in the midst of... I thought that's what a warrior was. They can show up with a concrete level of commitment and it's not predicated upon anything external. I thought that's what a warrior was. When opposition and adversity shows up, they got a certain level of mental agility. I thought that's what a warrior was. Right? Like They can show up and stay true to what they said they would do long after the mood that they've set it in has left. I thought that's what a war way of the warrior. I thought that's what a warrior was. And I went back to the doctors. I said, sign me up. I'm game. Let's do it. They said, are you sure? I said, absolutely. And every single day I went into that room and one day they would have an arm skateboard. I would do it. I would jump up off the table. I would say, hey, doc, are you seeing anything? They would say, come back tomorrow. Come back another day. Got a different contraption. Get up off the table. Are you seeing anything? Come back tomorrow. And a year and a half into that process, I got up off the table and I went over to my PT and I grabbed the shoulder. And I'll never forget, he slid his shoulder from under my hand and he went to walk off and I jogged over to him some more. And as I grabbed the shoulder and I slowly turned him around, I noticed he was crying. And he said to me, Inky, we want it to work. I said, I know, man, me too. He said, but we're not seeing anything. He said, I hate to inform you, Ink, you'll probably never be able to use that, that arm and hand another day for the rest of your life. I said, physically. He said, what do you mean physically? I said, physically, I'm out of commission. I said, I can't use it. I said, but I will use this arm in his hand every day of my life for the rest of my life by the way that I live my life because I would never allow a situation or circumstance to define my life. I said, opposition is opposition. Adversity is adversity. The beautiful thing about it is you can look at a situation and a person can look at it and say, because of that situation, because of that level of adversity, I wasn't able to fulfill my potential. Because of that level of opposition and adversity or that challenge, that sudden change that hit my life, I wasn't able to do some of the things that I thought I was going to be capable of doing. And another person can look at the same level of adversity, the same level of opposition, the same level of sudden change and say, man, because I encountered that, that turned me into a person I didn't even know I possessed. That put my mindset in a space that I didn't even know I was capable of, it, right? It pushed me to a level that I wasn't even aware I could go to. 
right? Like I always said to my guys, I would say, man, adversity causes some people to break and other people to break records solely based upon the perspective that we have about the things that we're going through. Like when I was traveling a lot prior to the pandemic, I would always call my wife, right? And I would update her on different travels and how things were going. And I'll never forget, I had a trip to College Station, right? I was going to speak to Texas A&M. And I get to Dallas and everything is going awesome. And, you know, I'm getting ready to board my flight to go to College Station, right? And as I'm standing in line, I call my wife. She pick up. I said, everything is going great. I'm on my last leg of my flight. And as soon as I say that, I see the pilot coming off the plane and he has his briefcase. He's walking at a pretty good rate of speed. And when he was about to pass me, I said to him in a joking manner, I said, hey, man, where are you going? Like, you're going the wrong way. And he was like, oh, we hit a bird. I was like, like a little bird? He's like, yeah, yeah, like a little bird. I said, no disrespect to the bird, but the bird, bird is gone, right? And he was like, yeah, but it's this whole protocol, man. They could put blood on the plane. Sometimes it could possibly dent an area of the plane, so they have to check it out. And it shouldn't be long. I said, well, I fly a lot. Do you mind if I introduce myself? I can sit by you. I want to understand the protocol. I said, no problem. And as soon as we sit down, he says to me, Inky, we should be fine unless they bring the plane tow truck. He said, if they bring the plane tow truck, we have to wait two, two and a half hours. And within three minutes, who do you think showed up? Freaking plane tow truck, right? Sit there, two and a half hours go by, board a new plane, we're pulling off the runway. And the pilot comes over the intercom as we're pulling off the runway and says, guys, I hate to inform you, but we have to go back to the gate. And everybody on the plane was like, yeah, he's probably just joking with us. And he says, they forgot to load the luggage. And people were hot as fish grease, right? People were like, how did they forget to load the luggage? We waited two and a half hours. It's a new plane. And as we're pulling back up to the gate, I say to the guy sitting beside me, I said, man, I just want to see who forgot to load the luggage, right? And I'm looking out of the window, and I see the luggage cart. And I see the guy standing beside the luggage cart. And they got their sprites, and, you know, they're dancing, and they're laughing. They're living la vida loca. There's no luggage on the plane. And I say to the guy beside me, I said, man, my problem is not even an opposition. I said, my problem is not even a change, right? It's not even an adverse. I expect adversity and opposition, right? If I'm traveling, if I'm trying to pursue something, if I'm trying to accomplish something, if I got goals, dreams, and aspirations, I expect to hit some level of sudden change. I expect it, right? So that's not my problem. I said, my challenge is this. I feel as if, as people, oftentimes we get so arrogant. Right. Like I told one of my buddies this last week, I said, man, you think because you got a couple of dollars in the bank. Right. Like you think life like owes you something. I said, who told you next week you were going to be able to get to that? Who told you you were going to be here in a year? Right. Who told you in a couple of days you're going to be able to get to that? Like who promised you that? And I said, as people, sometimes we feel as if we'll just rise to the occasion. If the moment shows up, I'll rise to the occasion. If the opposition shows up, I'll rise to the occasion. If the sudden change happens, I'll rise to the occasion. When I think we all know we don't rise to the occasion, we revert back to our training. Meaning the individuals we were prior to the opposition, prior to the adversity, prior to the sudden change, that's the individual that's gonna show up in the midst of the sudden change, the opposition and adversity every single time. And I think we all know character is not something we inherit. Character is something we have to wake up every single day, we have to fight and we gotta build it. In the midst of challenges, in the midst of opposition, and in the midst of change, right? I told my guy, I said, man, I just want one thing from us. 
right? Like we might not always be our best. It's a tough, it's a challenging time. A lot of people are in uncharted territory right now. So we might not always be our best, but we can always show up and bring our best, meaning what we possess and what we got on that day. Because I'm a firm believer in life, we don't burn out because of what we do. People burn out because life makes them forget why they do it. I'm gonna say it again, like we don't burn out because of what we do. We burn out because life makes us forget why we do it. The passion, the fire, the purpose, and the mission that when a person first starts something, and it's a beautiful thing, you're like, man, that's incredible. Like that person is so driven, right? That person has a, has a spirit that's so beautiful, right? Like they bring it every single day. And then something goes wrong. Something doesn't show up the way they want it to show up. The validation is not there. Something changes. And the same person that had this level of fire, that had this level of dedication and commitment, they're no longer the same individual. Not because they don't have the skill set and the talent. Life has encountered something with them and made them forget why they do what they do and why they show up every single day. Right? A guy said to me last week, he said, Inky, be real with me. He said, you'll change what happened to you, right? You got a paralyzed arm, man. Like, you'll change that, right? I said, no. He said, but why? He said, you could be making millions of dollars right now, playing on a Sunday. Why wouldn't you change that? I said, because I can honestly say 90 to 95% of the way that I live my life until this day is a result of my injury. Like, the father that I am right now is a result of my injury. The husband that I am right now is a result of my injury, right? The man that I am right now, the servant that I am, the way I go about my business, my work, the way I show up every single day is a result of a level of sudden change that I encountered that most people felt I didn't deserve, that most people felt I wouldn't have gotten through, that most people felt, man, he shouldn't have went through that. He was a good guy. But because I processed it the right way and had the right group of people around me, it shaped my perspective in such a way that every single day I wake up, it's not a thing on God's green earth that I take for granted. It's not a person that I take for granted, right? It's not an assignment that I take for granted. It's not a place that I take for granted because my perspective of life is this. If I've been gifted with the opportunity, the least I could do is give everything I got to it. If I've been gifted with a group of people, the least I could do is give them everything I got. Right. Like when I think of back, think back about football, I loved it. Right. But when I when I think back to it, I don't miss playing on Saturdays, even though that was awesome. Right. I don't miss that. What I miss most was my team. What I miss most was working for a common goal and a common purpose with my group of people. What I miss most was showing up every single morning and the mission of what we wanted was greater than any one of us. What I miss most was when we showed up and one of my guys wasn't feeling it. And I would say, hey, brother, I get it. You might not be your best today. Rent my passion until you get strong enough to possess your own. What I miss was showing up and one of my buddies didn't want to be committed. I said, man, I get it. I feel you. Today is not your day. Rent my commitment until you get strong enough to possess your own. What I miss most was showing up every single day and we had something that all of us was working toward. Common mission, common goal, one purpose, one mindset. The game was the game. But it was a byproduct of the effort, the commitment, the dedication that we put forth every single day, right? Like I feel as if my legacy is on the line. It's not about anything superficial and anything materialistic. I give everything I got to everything I'm a part of for one reason. I wanna be remembered a certain type of way. 
I want when I tell somebody you can count on me, that's not predicated to situation or something external. It's not predicated upon if everything goes right. It's not predicated upon if we don't face adversity and opposition. I was out of the hospital in three days after my injury. I was supposed to be in the hospital 60 to 80 days. I got out of the hospital on the third day. I was back at practice that next week. I was back in meetings with my team that next week. I had to go to the disability services and learn how to write all over again with my left hand because I was right hand dominant. I still graduated in three years and got my, got my master's degree in four and a half. And they said, Inky, how did you do it? I said, if my goals, my dreams, it wasn't predicated upon if I got a paralyzed right arm and hand or not. That wasn't the deal. I told my mom I was gonna be the first one in our family to graduate college. I didn't say unless an injury happened, right? I told her I was gonna be the first one to finish. I didn't say unless an injury happened. I told my team I was gonna be a great teammate. I didn't say unless an injury happened, right? It wasn't predicated upon that. And I didn't negotiate that, right? Like I firmly believe with this situation and the things we're going through right now in the world, a lot of people are making the excuse to fail. And I told some guys this morning, I said, the current environment is not permission to fail, right? Sure enough, it might be different. It might not show up the way we want it to, but that doesn't give us permission to settle. That doesn't give us permission to fail. That doesn't give us permission not to operate and not to crush it every single day. That doesn't give us permission not to show up and bring our best because we've encountered a level of opposition that we've never seen before, right? I think we all know it. Every next level of our life demands a new version of us. And if we wanna operate at a certain level, we take the opposition, we take the adversity, we take the sudden change, we process it, we bottle it up, and we use it to add value to every environment we go into and every person's life that we come in contact with, right? I just want one thing from us all. As gifted, as beautiful, as talented, right? As we all are. Let's never allow light to make us forget why we do what we do every single day. Because in the midst of the challenge, in the midst of the adversity, in the midst of the sudden change, there always lies a beautiful opportunity to make an impact and to make a difference. Let's never forget in life, people don't burn out because of what they do. People burn out because life makes them forget why they do it. Most importantly, you judge the true character and caliber of a person not by where they stand in times of comfort and convenience. You judge the true character and caliber of a person by where they stand in times of challenge and controversy. Let's keep crushing it and let's bring it every single day. It's my time. God bless you guys. Thank you. Wow, uh, Inky. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out to the chat room too, Jake. I know you probably have some comments and questions. I'll let you roll while I'm looking into the chat. If you have any questions, uh, for Inky, that was one nugget after another of just um, incredible wisdom. We're, we're just all taking notes, Inky, as fast as we can. We want to hit rewind and, and hear it all again. That's what we really want to do. So as we're all we're all scrambling, if you, if you saw our notes today, Inky, you'd be cracking up. You'd say, that might be a person. Right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that's pretty bad. And we're, and <laughs> That. That's we, awesome, we got, man. We got some adversity today just taking notes because you're so good. Thank and, you. Um, just a basic question. Mm -hmm. are, are, do you, um, 
with what everything that's going on, are you are you watching pro football? Did you watch it? Do you still enjoy watching the game? And mm-hmm. if so, do you have a favorite team? Yeah, so I um, I watch it. I do work with a lot of uh, the teams. I do work with the NFL as well. And so, um, you know, some may know this, some may not know this. And so in the NFL, they bring in different speakers to different teams, but also they have like a master list of a couple of guys that, you know, teams get the pick from this list and choose guys. And it's not that many. And I'm on that list as well. And so a lot of the teams, you know, they bring me in, you know, a lot of times on retainer. And so um, I watch it, you know, but if you would ask me, what do I enjoy the most if I had to pick between college and pro, I'll probably pick college because I feel as if, you know, the guys play with a lot more passion and experience in terms of just game day experience is better. Any university you go to on game day and college is awesome, even though pro is awesome as well, but I just like college. Um, but, um, you know, my favorite team would probably be the Chiefs because that's the team that I've spoken to the most, you know, and that's the team that Eric Berry used to play for. But, you know, I'm biased because I spoke to the Chiefs probably more than any other team in the NFL. That's the team that I'll probably say I like and watch the most. Well, I'm going to ask you one other question that you're going to probably roll your eyes at a little bit, but first <laughs> I'll throw a little bit your way and see what you think. So there's a lot of us on here that um, are from Wisconsin that grew up Packer fans. Mm-hmm. And how do you frame uh, for us when, and we're, we're in a really interesting uh, part of our country right now. And there's so many different things that are, you know, taking our attention how do you, if I'm talking to a team and I'm on that short list, which I'm not, you are, when, when teams decide, the Packers have decided not to come out for the national anthem. They stay inside their locker room for the national anthem. And then they come out afterwards. How, how do we support that? I mean, it, it doesn't matter if they stand, if they kneel, it, 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 you, whatever is in their heart to do um, is, is their real is their heart and not going to get into a judgmental anything there, but how, right. how do we cheer for that team that won't even come out and acknowledge um, from your perspective? Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, you may say, dude, really, my time's up. I got to go. No, no, uh, no. I'm going to answer it. Yeah, yeah I'm going to answer it. Um, I think, you know, a lot of times because I've, I've addressed this on calls with, with coaches as well in teams I think uh, the first step is just education, right? I think when you educate a person, like thoroughly educate a person on what that means, right? I'm talking about the macro of it with the teams and the guys, making them understand, you know, in terms of whether it's the national anthem, things of that nature, you know, guys going off fighting for the country, the holistic approach of what this means, right? Getting guys to engage in discussion, right? Getting their perspective about it. I think that's something that's very important and it doesn't get done enough. Now, I think from a football coach's perspective, he looks at it in terms of his first step most of the time is how can I minimize distractions, right? How can I not have the team split it and against each other? So if he has certain guys on the team that's like, hey man, I'm going out and I'm going to stand and I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to be respectful of this. And then there's certain guys that's like, hey, coach, I would rather stay in, you know, and be respectful and do this. A coach might say, 
okay, if I got certain guys going out, certain guys staying in, how can I address this situation? Because I know the media is going to take it, do what they're going to do with it. I know certain guys are going to be outspoken about it. How can I take this situation and just try to control it all together? Okay, so if I can't control the guys going out, guys staying in, all right, we'll just all stay in. Now, they might not truly feel that way. They might not even want to stay in as a coaching staff. But because it's, it's been being blown up into such a deal, a coach is saying, hey, man, we'll just stay in and all come out together just to try to minimize the distraction rather than just saying, hey, you guys go out, you guys stay in. And because they're trying not to have the guys kind of split and answering questions on their own in terms of their perspective and things of that nature. Now, which I think, I think they should let guys address it. I think they should let guys share their perspective, right? Because if you got a certain decision that you're making, go and express it, right? So people can understand your thought process and your perspective, even if they don't agree with you, right? Like my coach used to tell me all the time, right? I can respect your thought process while not respecting your thought, right? Now I can see you doing a certain thing and I might not agree with it, but if you share your thought process and your perspective, I probably can say, okay, I see where you're coming from. I still don't agree with what you're doing. And when they don't give them the opportunity to express themselves, people are gonna form their own opinion about why they're doing what they're doing and there lies the problem. And a coach is just thinking about it from the perspective of, I'm just trying to make the distraction go away. When I think they should let guys share their perspective and why they've made the decision or the choice to stand or to kneel and do what they do. Thank you for that answer. That was a great, that was a great perspective and a great answer. We got 43 uh, Steeler fans that are saying, dude, right. Did you help Ryan <laughs> when Ryan went through his thing? Did you help him? Did, did you reach out to you? Did you reach out to him? Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, now 83 Steeler fans just asked the same question. They want to know. Yeah. So one of my best friends, Ramon Foster, uh, played for the Steelers and he just retired. Uh, this past year. And so when that happened to Ryan, I never got the chance to speak to him. I sent them a word uh, through Ramon, but I never had the chance to speak to him personally because I know how that is when you're first going through something and you're just trying to gain some perspective and figure it out. And so, but I've never spoken to him, but Ramon told me he's a great guy and I admire the way he's handled it, man. Like I'm a Ryan fan. Like I like him a lot. Uh, Sarah, I mean, thanks, for, thanks, thank you for the, those answers. Sarah, do you see me there, Roland? Yeah, yeah, and I agree, Tim Moore, the Broncos. We need you, Inky. Can you help us out here in Denver? <laughs> uh, right. Well, here this comes from John Markman. He's asking, uh, talk, talk to us about how you processed the grief over. Uh, the loss of your arm in a, in a real and healthy, healthy way. Obviously, you know, people go through loss. It hurts. It's real pain. Uh, but you came to peace with it and you moved on. And then he says, on the one ditch, seems like with lick our wounds, don't move on. That's what happens to some people. People get stuck, right? And Absolutely. the other one is other people ignore it and then it just festers. So would you address that question, like how you were able? And it seems like you moved on pretty fast. And I also, personally, I want to go back into your childhood with uh, growing up with poverty because you really... Uh, didn't address, I mean, the stuff you've overcome, I'd love for people to hear. We've got a little bit of time, Jake, if you're cool, if we keep Absolutely. rolling. Absolutely. 
Hey, listen, Inky knows how our notes are now. He's just rolling at us. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're good. <laughs> when it hits the top of the hour, we'll just we'll just abort. So you don't have to worry. Yeah. We won't go long. But no, we're good. Questions okay. are, these questions are great. You're amazing. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead good. and roll. Yeah, Absolutely. so two questions, you yep. know, on grief and then growing up mm -hmm. with the extreme poverty. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of flip the answers so I can roll into it. So the, the way I grew up, you know, born to my mother at 16, and she took me back to two-bedroom house, 14 of us, it's my grandparents' house. And uh, it was in a place called Kirkwood in Atlanta. And we had everything under the sun, you know, drugs, gangs, violence, you name it, we had it. And I was growing up in the house and I was sleeping on the floor, you know, with roaches and rats. And sometimes we would get an opportunity to sleep in a bed. There'll be six of us in the bed, three at the foot, three at the head. And I had this dream, you know, I wanted to go to the NFL because I felt as if, you know, I could give my family a better living condition. You know, like the first time I mentioned NFL, I followed it up with, man, maybe I can get my own bed one day. Right, I just, I just wanted my own bed, right? And I wanted to pull my mother off the double shift at Wendy's. And, um, you know, I was very serious about it because a lot of people didn't think it would happen. You know, because from my family personally, you know, most of them didn't even graduate high school. You know, it wasn't that they were bad people. It was just product of the environment. You know, I had a lot of uncles going in and out of prison. Some still in prison, you know, till this day. And so, you know, when I got to the, to the college level, it was somewhat gravy for me from the perspective of, you know, you had everything, you know, and I wasn't coming from a situation where I had that, that level of access. I was extremely grateful. You know, you had your shoes, you had training table, you know, you're getting fed three meals a day, you got smoothies, you got people washing your clothes. And so I couldn't understand how guys couldn't appreciate that. And so when my injury happened, it was a big, big disappointment, right? And it was a process getting through it, you know? Like, you know, when I tell the story, you know, sometimes it seems like it was a quick process getting through it, but it was a process because of the disappointment. And I felt as if, if I would have made this happen, I would have been able to help so many people and not only help my family, I wanted to give the people that helped me a return on their investment. And so one of the most pivotal moments in that process was when I was in the hospital after my injury and my little league coach, you know, that signed me and my cousins up to play ball in the street, you know, I started apologizing to him. And I was just like, man, I'm sorry. You know, and I was crying. I was like, I'm sorry, man. And he was like, what are you sorry for, Inc? I was like, I can't make it to the NFL and pay you back. And he said to me, you think I did what I did for you so you could make it to an NFL? I was like, yeah, I think that was part of it, right? And he was like, man, I don't even watch the NFL, bump the NFL. He was like, I didn't do what I did for you for you to make it to an NFL. He said, I wanted you to be a decent man one day. He said, the only thing I want from you is for you to pay forward the sacrifices that I made in your life for another person. He said, you don't owe me a thing, man. He said, one day if you have children, be a decent father. He said, one day if you're blessed with a wife, be a decent husband. Right. Be a decent man. Take pride in what you're blessed to be able to do. That's the only thing I want from you. And so for me, the thing that helped me process the disappointment, I journal a lot, you know, still until this day, I journal. Right. And for me, that journaling process is something that keeps me intentional about what I want out of life, not something superficial, materialistic. 
it keeps me intentional about my happiness. It keeps me intentional about having the right perspective, seeing things on the right side of the coin. It keeps me intentional about my peace, my joy. And so even right now, I journal three times a day, right? When I get up in the morning, like the quote cards that I read at the beginning, that's a part of the process, right? Being intentional about my growth, my peace, my happiness. But I journal three times a day. As soon as I get up, I do my morning devotion. I journal, right? I talk about my goals for that day, my dreams for that day. I always end it with gratitude, what I'm grateful for. Around noon to two o'clock, somewhere in that space, I find a time to journal in the middle of the day, right? And at night, once I put the kids down, once the wife's down, I find me some time by myself and I just journal about the day. And for me, that's being intentional about, you know, just my thoughts, my mindset, my peace, my joy, my happiness. Because I told a guy once, I said, man, if you think you're going to wake up every single day and life is just going to deliver you happiness like it's an Amazon package, you got another thing coming, right? I said, you got to wake up and you got to fight for happiness. Mm. You got to fight for joy, right? You got to fight for peace, right? Some days are going to be tougher than others, but you got to wake up and you have to be intentional about it. And so when I faced that level of disappointment, you know, I shifted my focus to putting things in place every single day that was going to help me be intentional about the things I wanted to acquire as a person. Wow. When, uh, when did you, when did you find your faith? Cause I know that's, that's everything for you. Absolutely. How old were you? Yeah. Um, you know, I was raised, you know, like any other kid, my grandmother and mother would take me to church, but I didn't pay attention. You know, they smacked me in the head in the pew, you know, <laughs> I'll be playing like any other kid. But once I got to college, uh, I met a chaplain, our team chaplain. He's the chaplain for the Tennessee Titans right now. Mm. And uh, he approached me and told me he wanted to disciple me spiritually. And at the time, I didn't know what that meant. You know, I was like, what is that? Man, that sounds hard. Like, what is that? And he was like, I just want to help you grow spiritually. I want to, you know, help you be intentional about your spiritual development. And I said, what does it entail? He said, you know, if y'all got workouts at 6, 6.30, can you show up at five, right? And I'm gonna give you assignments. I'm gonna give you assignments just like you were in class. Study the Bible, break it down, you know, write synopsis, give you all type of stuff. And I was like, all right, let me get my roommates and ask them, can they do it with me so I can have some level of accountability? And I asked them, and at the time, it was Ramon Foster for the Steelers, uh, Gerard Mayo, he's a linebackers coach for the Patriots, is Robert Ayers, you know, he got drafted first round, 18 pick, to the Denver Broncos, and it was Sinclair Cannon, our buddy, he's a high school football coach in South Carolina. And all of us went on this journey of spiritual discipleship from our freshman year. And then my junior year when my injury happened, I always tell people this, I firmly believe, and I can honestly say, I know for a fact, I wouldn't have responded in the manner of which I responded to my injury if I didn't have that spiritual discipleship. Right, because I it, it meant so much to me that if I didn't have you know my beliefs, my spirituality as a foundation, when my injury happened, I know my approach, I know my thought process, I know my outlook, my perspective, um, everything would have been different, you know. And so, as a result of that spiritual discipleship, I always look back at it and I say, you know, it's like that quote that says, "If you want to make God laugh, you know, show God your plans." I firmly believe God had a plan for me all along. 
and he knew that was going to happen. And so prior to that, he put me in spiritual discipleship to prepare me for the battle before it even happened. Wow. Well, here's a question from Kayla Tyler. What is the most common issue that you coach people about, number one? And what advice would you give the teenage version of Inky looking back on your youth? So two, two questions from Kayla. Um, so I would, I would attack the one about the teenage youth first. Um, I would have told myself as a teenager that um, everything is going to work itself out. And so what I mean by that is, you know, I worried a lot. You know, I was ambitious. I was driven. I, I, I like to think I was somewhat focused on making this dream happen. But it was times in my life that I was like, man, I got the dream, but is it really going to happen? Because I would go play in these games. I would go do well. I would go be in an all-star football game. But when I would come back home, my environment was what it was. You know, I would come back to that floor. I would come back to those roaches and those rats. I would come back to those nights sometimes where we didn't eat. And so it would, it would make me question it from time to time. And so I would worry a lot. But also there's a quote that says, worrying is a down payment on a problem that you may never have. And Say so, that one more time. Yeah, so there, there's a quote that says, worrying is a down payment on a problem that you may never have. And so a lot of the things that we somewhat worry about, most of the time, you know, it never happens the way that we think it's gonna happen. And so a big one for me was poverty. And so once I got to college, I was like, man, I, I can't ever go back to poverty. Once I got my wife and my children, you, number one thing, I don't want my children to experience poverty. I don't want them to go through what I went through as a kid. I never want my children to miss a meal. And so even when I made the decision to speak and felt as if this is what God had called me to do, you know, early in my marriage, I made a lot of mistakes. Early in, you know, my fatherhood, I made a lot of mistakes because I worked a lot. You know, I was just a workaholic running away from poverty, right? This is what I'm thinking at the time. That same worry I had as a teenage boy, I still had it as an adult. And I went to a spiritual retreat and, you know, all of us were in a circle and it was a gentleman that was conducting a small group. And he was asking everybody a question. He said, does anybody feel like they're running from anything in their life, right? Any past mistakes, any whatever. And when he got around to me, I was like, yeah, I think, you know, I'm running away from poverty. And he was like, um, are you in poverty? You and your family right now, are you in poverty? I was like, no, you know, I actually do quite well for myself. And he said, well, stop running. <laughs> and as simple as it sounds, it was profound for me, right? It was, it was a breakthrough for me because my life, I was conducting every decision, every choice off of something that I had been running from ever since I was a teenager. And so that was very important. And um, the second question, I got off on a tangent on that one. The second question was, can you, can you revert? Oh yeah, let me go back. I was just mesmer yeah. mesmerized about, you know, how we keep playing these same tapes over in our brains over <laughs> again. And uh, let me get to it. That is from Kayla. What's the most common issue you coach people about today? Mm -hmm. The most common issue is, um, I would have to say, success doesn't equal fulfillment. Mm -hmm. You know, 
And a lot of times, whatever success is, and it's so individual for everybody, and everybody got a different level, but um, that it doesn't equal fulfillment and it doesn't equal happiness. And not making a mistake of, you know, like I was just talking about from the time I was a teenager, but not making a mistake of becoming a public success, but behind closed doors being a private failure. And so you chase everything and you be so energetic and you crush it in your career and you do well and you make your money and you get some of the things you want, which is no problem, right? Because we work hard and you wanna do things, but not making a mistake of becoming a public success and behind closed doors being a private failure, not because you don't have the talent and the skill set, but the talent and the skill set has taken us to a place that our character can't sustain us. And so being willing to give every aspect of our life, the energy, the focus, the dedication, and the commitment that we give to our careers and understanding that, you know, the things that we yield, it's like, you know, what is it really worth, right? What are we after? What are we trying to accomplish? And realizing that superficial materialistic, it doesn't mean that you're going to be happy once you get it. It doesn't mean that you're going to be fulfilled once you get it. And so don't wrap your happiness or your fulfillment or your joy or your peace up in that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. A couple more. We got a couple more and we'll, we'll wrap it up. So Lisa Loro, I'd love to know this too. Is anyone talked to you about making a documentary about mm -hmm. your life? Yeah, I've had, um, I've had some short form, uh, little docu-series deals done, uh, nothing long form, have discussed it with uh, some people, but um, hadn't really materialized into anything yet. I've had some short form things done, but nothing really long form yet. And, um, you know, I always say to people, you know, I think, you know, when it's time, you know, God is in the right people at the right time to make it happen. But I've had some dialogue about it. I even had a dialogue uh, with The Rock you know, about it. And that's pretty cool. It was, it was pre pandemic. And so, you know, but we still talk. And so we'll see where that goes. But I think at the right time, God manifested, you know, and so I'm looking forward to it, but I'm just grateful. Just grateful. Yeah. Who Absolutely. would, uh, if they did a movie about you, who, mm -hmm. who would you have play you? Hopefully they do it when my son is big enough. <laughs> but but, but it, would, it would just be awesome because I, you know, I never, I never thought like um, my story was anything special, oh. Sarah, to be honest. Like I never thought what I had went through was anything wow. special because I grew up how I grew up. And when I got to college, you know, and I, I told the guys when they were trying to take me to a sorority party, and I had a bed at the Marriott, you know, like a suite. And I had a king size bed. And I was like, man, I'm gonna stay at the Marriott. Y'all can go to the party. And it was like, man, you gotta come to the party. And I was like, bro, this is the first time I've been in a room with my own bed, right? I got a king size, <laughs> I got a king size bed up in here, man, I'm not leaving. And they was like, you're right. It was like, you don't got a bed at home? I was like, no. And it was like, you ain't got a bed? I was like, no. You know, and so I never really thought anything of it. You know, I never thought I would be doing what I'm doing. I never thought I would get to travel the country, impact the people I've been able to impact. And so I'm just grateful, you know, for the opportunity. I'm grateful that God had a plan for my life far beyond what I could see. I'm grateful that God even interrupted what I thought would be my plan. I'm extremely grateful for it because, you know, if it was up to me, I probably would have messed it up a long time ago. 
So yeah. God has an amazing plan. Oh, go ahead, Jake. I was going to ask Colin's question, but go ahead. Well, listening to Inky and, and, and you know millions of people. So this is, you know, but this is just, you know, how you follow nudges too, because you do. And you, you, we just learn based on your spiritual discipleship that you follow nudges. Well, as we're listening to you, that question get asked about a documentary. Uh, wouldn't obviously expect anybody necessarily to know. Um, people here know, but we have a guy that started HBO Sports uh, with Brian Gumble. The guy that's been was executive uh -huh. producer, director of that show, is a high school classmate. And uh -huh. Kirby Bradley, we owe this to Inky at least Sarah to have Kirby get in touch with Inky because um, now how we reconnected Inky, uh, Kirby and I, um, and I'm 150 years old, so it's a long time ago in high school, but we both graduated in 1978 from a little town in Wisconsin. But when Junior Seau passed away and there was that ESPN, I don't know if you remember watching it or if you watched it, that two hour special on ESPN or you know, um, uh, 30 for 30 or 60 for 60, well, that two-hour special was done by Kirby Bradley. Wow. And that was the reason we reconnected. And now Kirby's been helping us for the last couple of years on videos and stuff. But as you're, as Sarah, I didn't even expect to even mention this during this call. But as Sarah asked the question, it just jumped off the page that we at least, we at least need, we owe that to you to put you in touch with Kirby. Whatever happens with it, who knows? But you won't find a better person. So, wow. Thank yeah, you. definitely. We'll, we'll connect, you. connect. 33, 33 Emmys later, Inky, he kind of um, knows what he's doing. So absolutely. Well, awesome. your story definitely needs to be told. I mean, I just, again, I want to encourage everybody and I'll call in, I'm going to get to your question as our last question, but you know, just being so grateful that we get to sleep in a bed at night and just uh, being fully, fully awake to all the blessings, right? And, and so here's the question from Colin. Colin is one of our buddies. He's a has a happy anniversary here at Fairway today. I think five years is what I saw. And uh, he says, thank you, Inky. I was just thinking about asking, I love this question because this happens when you go through loss, when you go through extreme uh, tragedy, there's this incredible time after the tragedy where you are so, so, so close that, you know, I would say it's the breath of God breathing on you during that time. And it's so precious, right? So he says, you know, how do you maintain that level of gratitude in perspective all these years later, after the accident, after everything you went through growing up, uh, Colin's been sober 14 years incredible any he, he said i was so grateful to be alive but that gratitude faded over time and i miss it because it was such a source of inspiration and motivation so how do you do that obviously you journal three times a day any other uh, thoughts for the the group yeah, absolutely um you know i always say like you know a lot of times people say about me like, man, the guys, he's inspirational or he's motivational. And so I always view life like I'll, I'll send out sometimes the same content, you know, if I feel like it had a great response to it, whether it be a video or quote or something of that nature. And a guy asked me one day, he was like, hey, Inc., I saw you post that video maybe a week and a half ago. You know, what's your reasoning behind posting it again? And I said, I just believe like as adults, right, like we 
have our spouses, fiancés, girlfriends, whatever the case may be, boyfriends. We have our children, whatever the case may be. And I said, I, I firmly believe more times than not, as adults, you know, we don't need motivation and inspiration, even though that's great. As adults, more times than not, we need to be reminded of what's important, you know, more than anything. And so for me, it's about reminding myself of what's important. Now it helps every single day when I wake up and I got my arm to look at and I got my sleeve that I have to put over my arm or I go out in public, you know, and people automatically, because when they see me, you know, it looks different, right? They'll see my left arm and they'll know automatically whether somebody asks me, hey man, is that a prosthetic or, hey, what's going on with your arm? So I get a lot of questions and I'm gonna be honest, early on in the process, you know, it was, um, it, bothered, it bothered me a lot, right? When I would go out in places and people would just look, right? People would just look at me like, man, what's up with that guy? Like, what's going on with his arm? People would go out of their way to look and it bothered me, right? And once I got to a certain level of peace with the situation, when people would look, I would speak. Hey, man, how you doing? They'd say, hey, man, what happened to your arm? And it would open up the avenue for dialogue about what happened to me. Mm. And so for me, I'm extremely grateful in the way I capture and keep that gratitude is every single day when I look at my arm, you know, every single day I come up against something that I used to be able to do that now I can't. And so a lot of people knew I played football, but they didn't know I used to play basketball. I used to play baseball. I ran track. Like I was a four sport athlete prior to college. And so when my injury happened, it wiped out all of that. And so for me, it's a thing of being grateful and understanding that I almost lost my life. And so I'm extremely grateful that I have life. And so while I got life, I'm gonna make the most of it. And so because it almost ended in a blink, I think a lot of people go through a gradual process, right? Whether they get sick and then it's a diagnosis and it kind of gradually gets worse. But when you almost lose your life in a blink of an eye, I think sometimes that gives you a bit of a different perspective about how quickly life can change. And it gives you a different appreciation and level of gratitude for the gift of life. I love that. You, revis you revisit it every day. Absolutely. Yep. As a reminder, the signpost. Uh, Jake, you want to wrap us up? This was incredible. This Just Inky, this, is, this was amazing. This is one of the best hours in our 24 plus years of Fairway. Um, we have 9,000 teammates and we're going to encourage every single person in this company to listen to this. Um, it couldn't have been better. The only thing better is if you saw the notes and how goofy the notes are looking, <laughs> you'd, you'd be cracking up. <laughs> Kobe, we got to get the cash man, who's the best note taker in the world, to at least send Inky the notes from this because he might even like them. Absolutely. Like I would love that. I would love you, that. You won't get my notes. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, all blessings to you, dude. Just keep doing your thing. We're, we're, we're so humbled that you spent some time with us. And just thank you and keep doing your thing. Yeah, thank you, Inky. Hopefully we get to see you in person. So thank Absolutely. you. God bless you. And bless uh, we're you. all going to look at our blessings completely different. Thank Absolutely. you. God bless thank everybody. You God bless you guys. Thank you so much.